Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue the book of 1 Kings today with chapter 3. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house, and the house of Yahweh, and the wall all around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of Yahweh. Solomon loved Yahweh, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, Yahweh appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him, you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Yahweh my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we, too, were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had borne. But the other woman said, No, the living child is mine, and the dead child is yours. The first said, No, the dead child is yours, and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. The other says, No, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. The king said, Bring me a sword. 
So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, Divide the child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh, my lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. This is the word of the Lord. Essentially, we have three different things happening in the text today to look at. The first is Solomon's unfaithfulness. Then we have the, the wondrous offer from God. And then we have the use of that gift that Solomon chose to receive. So first is unfaithfulness. Uh, this is going to begin in verse 1. Solomon makes a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This will not be the first of his alliances done by marriage. Pharaoh uh, here is giving his daughter to Solomon, and that means together their families are, in a sense, being united, which forms this alliance. They're going to be friends with one another. They're going to care for one another. Pharaoh is going to want to see his daughter do well. Uh, and, you know, this has been a common practice in the history of the world as kings and, and royalty do this kind of thing. Might seem a little odd today just because that's not our cultural norm anymore. But what's the problem going on here? Well, first, again, he's going to do this many times. Solomon's many, 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 many wives are going to get him into trouble. We'll see that a few days from now as we continue studying the book. A thousand wives. Anyway, we'll come back to that. An initial problem right off the bat, though, in addition to that, is going to be that God has forbidden this. God has forbidden taking wives for the Israelites, for his people, taking wives from outside of Israel, and for a very specific purpose. It's not that these women are necessarily like wicked women all the time. No, the purpose is simply this. They don't worship Yahweh. And because they don't worship Yahweh, they're going to bring whatever their false belief is into the land of Israel, and it's going to deceive and lead people astray from worshiping Yahweh, trusting in the Lord. And that's exactly what we'll see happen to Solomon because of his wives as the text moves forward again in the days to come. Another issue here is where is the trust? Solomon is going to do all these worldly things which doesn't necessarily show that he's trusting in God for his protection. God gave David everything. But Solomon's going to make military alliances. Solomon's going to build a security wall for himself around his city. These are things that were not before, but now they are. Then you see in verse 2, that the people are sacrificing at the high places because no house had yet been built for Yahweh. Now, that's that's not fully fair. I mean, there is a house for Yahweh. It's the tabernacle. They have it. We're going to see Solomon at it in a little bit here in the text. So they should not have been doing this point blank, period, done. The high places are places of pagan worship. They have entered the land the promised land. They were supposed to drive out all of the, 
the pagan peoples to get rid of those false religions from this land that God was giving to them, and they were to destroy all of these high places. The very fact that they are able to go to these high places to make offerings shows that they have not done what they were supposed to do. So these are this would be like you saying, I'm going to go worship God today, and I'm going to go to a mosque to do it. Or a synagogue to do it. Those are pagan worship sites and you can name others you know wherever the the Wiccans in your community might gather for worship that is the example here that they're doing they could have gone to the tabernacle they could have gone to their priests they ought to have done so but they didn't that was the first part uh, and we see that continue a little bit as not only the people Solomon himself himself he goes to Gibeon and he does the same thing the great high place, so the, the highest of these pagan worship sites, he goes to that place, and it says he used to offer a thousand burnt offerings. That's past tense. So it seems like this moment with the Lord working with Solomon, at least temporarily, shifted Solomon back towards Yahweh. Temporarily. Well, again, we'll see that in the, in the days to come. God offers Solomon, whatever he wants. Ask for anything. Ask what I shall give you. This is a moment to pause with your kids and ask them what they would ask for. If God wrote you a blank check, they won't understand that picture, but you do. If God offered you anything, whatever you wanted, what would you ask him for? Gives you a little insight into the heart of your child. Uh, it could be could be interesting to hear some of the responses, especially from the littler ones, uh, because you never know what they're going to say. Anyway, uh, the second part that you can talk about here with your kids, God is going to work through this wickedness. Solomon is doing a terrible thing here. He's worshiping a false god, and yet Yahweh is still going to be at work. We learn from the New Testament, I think it's Romans chapter 8, that Yahweh works even through the wicked things in this world, to bring about good for his people. And that's exactly what we see going on right here. Can you, and again, this is a question for your kids, can you think of any time that something bad happened, but God used it for good? God brought something good out of that bad thing. If your kids can't, offer them examples that you have seen. Again, opportunity here to build on faith. Now, Solomon responds uh, very humbly, really, as you look at his response in verses 6 through 9. It is humble. He acknowledges God's great love for David, that God has cared for David, that there's a connection because he walked before God in faithfulness. He's kept his promise to David by placing his son on the throne, so that's 2 Samuel chapter 7. He has made his servant king in place of David. So Solomon, again, humbling himself, not looking at himself as being great here. This is good, but admitting he's just a servant, just a child. Now his, his ask here, as he, can, he keeps going, he acknowledges that the people are so great, too many to be numbered is what God promised to Abraham back in the book of Genesis, that they would be more, his offspring would become more numerous than the sand of the seashore. 
Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. Those two pieces, I mean, again, this is a great request. He asks for wisdom. He asks for discernment so that he can lead the people well. That's a servant's heart. Again, good thing here. That skill is still needed today in the church. The ability to discern between good and evil. The, dis the ability to discern between what is God's word and what is false uh, is, a again, very needed. Something you should be teaching your children as best as you can so that they, too, are prepared to do that as they grow up. God is pleased. He's, he's glad that this is what Solomon has requested and chooses to give him not only that, but also all kinds of other stuff that he hasn't asked for, riches and honor, that, that no other king in his lifetime will compare to him. And then verse 14, If you walk in my ways, I will lengthen your days. So we'll see that coming back in a few days. So we see a bit of a flip-flop, a bit of a turn, a change in Solomon. Verse 15, as he wakes up after this dream, he goes back to Jerusalem. He goes to the Ark of the Covenant, and he sacrifices there. So he's at the tabernacle. Better, but it still seems wrong. The Ark of the Covenant is the throne of Yahweh. But the only one who's supposed to go into that room where the ark is stored is the high priest himself, and only one day a year on the Day of Atonement, so that Solomon is standing before the ark. If it's a direct reference, rather than simply saying he's in that vicinity, if it's a direct reference, Solomon is breaking that instruction of God from the book of Exodus. Also, there's no mention here of any priest doing this, but that Solomon's making the offerings. That would also be wrong. So it could be that a priest is involved and that this is all being done correctly. That's possible. The text, however, does not make it seem that way. Your third section, then, is that Solomon, that new wisdom God has given to him, is put to the test. You likely know this story. This is one of the more well-known stories from the book of Kings, is you have these two women who both have a child. The one child dies in the night because, you know, a tragic accident. The mother ended up rolling over onto the kid, and, and the kid died. And she pulls a switcheroo. I mean, she takes her dead son, and she gives him to the other woman, takes her living son, and takes him for herself. And so the mom brings this complaint to the king. One detail you might not know of the text is verse 16, that they're prostitutes. It's probably not one you'll dig into much with kids, but just a detail, again, that you may not have observed in the past. What is Solomon's response? In his wisdom, he chooses, essentially, to play on their, their emotions here. He is going to figure out which one of these women is the correct mother, the real mother of the child, by baiting them to react. He's going to offer up killing this child and dividing the kid in half. That would be of no benefit to either of them. But the strong reaction, the appalled reaction that would be immediate from the true mother should come out. And it does. And she even offers to let the other woman have the child so that the child lives. That is something that a genuine mother would do. Now, interestingly enough, the response of the other woman is really wicked. You might expect her to say, yes, give me the child. And she says, divide him. She would end up with one and a half dead kids instead of one. 
Now, had this been wartime, had it been a period of siege, unfortunately, that would make sense. But it is not. This is a time of peace and prosperity in the kingdom of Israel. Her response makes no sense whatsoever, but makes it easy for the king to make the judgment between the two. So all of Israel hears of Solomon's wisdom in that day, and they stand in awe, which is a word that means fear of the king, because they perceive that God is with him. 